Hi, and welcome to another episode of Priority Status by JPR. I'm Marissa Mallory, Vice President at JPR, and today I had the chance to sit down with the incomparable Gina Patron, Heritage Manager for the legendary Hotel Del Coronado in San Diego. Gina almost single-handedly maintains more than 130 years of history for one of America's most storied resorts. Today, she gives us a peek behind the curtain of the resort that puts San Diego on the map as America's finest city. And she speaks about the power of nostalgia to inspire travel as she works to preserve the Dell for generations of future celebrities, icons, presidents, and everyday travelers to come. Gina, thank you so much for joining us today. It's wonderful to have you here on the Priority Status Podcast. Thank you for having me. So I have to begin. Uh, the Dell is a living legend and has been for more than 130 years. For listeners who might not be familiar with Hotel Del Coronado, can you tell us a little bit? I'm going to keep you short here. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about the property and some of the most historic milestones that make it so iconic? Well, I think one of those things is simply its longevity. The hotel was built in 1888, and it's one of the last remaining Victorian seasides resorts in the world. And so just the fact that it's still standing is a monument and its legacy, really. But it was a world-class resort that attracted royalty, presidents, celebrities, and just everyday people from all over the world for over 134 years. So just the fact that it's still there uh, still continues to attract royalty and presidents and celebrities and average people really is a testament to its longevity. I'm so glad you mentioned celebrities, royalty, U.S. Mm -hmm. presidents. I know we would be here all day if we talked about all of them, but tell us a little bit, you know, about your favorites, any really iconic or most beloved favorite guests of those past 130 plus years? There have been so many, um, and some of them are long gone, uh, but some of those we have the best stories. Of course, we get celebrities staying at the resort today, uh, but their press agents don't let us know in advance or let us publicize that, not like they did in the 40s and 50s. So a lot of my great stories come from the past, but uh, when our swimming pool, for example, was unveiled in 1934, it was our in-ground swimming pool. Mae West just happened to be having lunch at the hotel that day that they opened it. So she attended the grand opening ceremony of that. People like Johnny Weissmuller, who played Tarzan a long time ago, uh, he liked to swim in the pool. He would sit at the bar in BNS Bar, the bar that's still there today. If you bought him a drink, he'd do a Tarzan yell. Groucho Marx offered $25,000 for part of our bar oh at one time and they wouldn't sell it. So there's just, it's really a who's who. There's names every once in a while. I'll just try to think of a name and then I'll search, look to see if we have a record of them being there. Nine times out of 10, they've been at the Dow. It just was a magnet for celebrities and royalty and people who wanted to come to the beach and play. And continues to be exactly. so, right, to this day. Tell us a little bit about, so of course there's the iconic history of the, the hotel and the resort itself, but tell us a little bit about Hotel Del Coronado's role in shaping the history of Coronado, the island. Mm -hmm. For those who don't know, the resort sits on an island here in San Diego. Do we actually call it an island though? Is it technically an island? The Coronadoans call it an island. It's, it's a peninsula, <laughs> so it is attached. But. but that history is so rich, not only for the property, but for the city as well. Tell us a little bit about the role of, of the resort in the city. Well, what was happening in 1885 is the railroad uh, had finally reached San Diego. And so all of a sudden San Diego was put on the map. 
and businessmen from all over the country were looking for cities that had railroad access as well as shipping access. And so they flocked to San Diego in 1885 and San Diego experienced a massive population boom. And with it brought two Midwestern businessmen, Elisha Babcock Jr. and Hampton Story. Both of them arrived in San Diego in 1885 from different points, Indiana and Chicago. And both of them ended up on the board of directors of the First National Bank here in San Diego. But they both had a love of hunting and fishing and went over to Coronado to spend time there. And that's where Babcock envisioned a grand Victorian seaside resort. And it seemed appropriate because San Diego's population was growing so large. And it seemed appropriate to have a large resort that would make San Diego a destination. So they bought the land and they developed the community of Coronado first, which was very important and very strategic. Build the town, then the hotel so that it would be supported by residents and businesses all around the property. And so that's what they did. So they really created Coronado and the community then went about building the hotel. Unfortunately, during that time, there was an economic bust. Uh, The railroad left town, uh, the railroad track was still there, the company left town, and there was a mass exodus of people who went up to Los Angeles. Land values had risen crazy and and high, just like they are now. And uh, people got scared and thought that San Diego was a flash in the pan and they left. And so that was mid-construction of the hotel. Wow. And so did construction was, stop at any point when that it that didn't stop, happen? No. but they were have they were struggling. They couldn't pay wages. They couldn't get supplies. They had a money shortage, really. And uh, the nation as a whole was headed towards a recession. So it was uh, a precarious time. But instead, they attracted the attention of John D. Spreckles, who was uh, fascinated with San Diego and had been investing in it and, and thought Coronado would be a good investment. So He gave them a much needed infusion of capital. And with that, they were able to increase their workforce to over 2000 construction workers and really accelerated the construction of the hotel. So it broke ground in March of 1887. And by completion, it took 11 months to build the entire hotel. In today's standards, Gina, that sounds really, really quick. Was it absolutely that quick back in 1887 as well? Probably not as unusual back then. Um, But for example, we've just renovated and added a new front drive. That's actually been on the plans since 1963. So it took 40 years or 60 years, excuse me, to open that front drive. So when you juxtapose the renovation of a Victorian building will they're anticipating will take over a year but it took 11 months to construct the whole thing from the ground up so yes they were able to accomplish amazing things back then but it's still an amazing feat uh, to have created something that size in that time frame you mentioned renovation of the Mm -hmm. Victorian building tell us a little bit about when we talk about preservation and legends, how has the property been able to preserve and honor and safeguard mm-hmm. what's been created over the past, you know, 130 years for the future? Tell us a little bit about what's in the works for preservation. Absolutely. Well, we developed a master plan in 1963, and it was to expand the hotel, the number of guest rooms. And the reason that Front Drive took 60 years was because owners changed 
plans changed, uh, things just got switched around. And so the plan that they have finalized and that they're now working on should take us into the next 134 years. It's really a complete renovation and use of every available space on the property. Uh, but it's meant to continue the Dell on for generations to come. Even though some of the plans have been on the books for a long time, right now focusing on some key areas such as the Victorian building is really what's going to help drive it and adding new structures to the property as well that will increase guest room count and that sort of thing. But um, the front porch renovation was our recent unveiling last year. And what that was in 1961, there was a major renovation of the front porch that removed a second entrance. It removed a porch and created interior space there instead. And it was modern. That was 1961. And uh, they were trying to modernize the hotel. They didn't want it to look like 1888. And so what they've done today is rolled it as close back to 1888 as we can. Uh, they put back in the second entrance. They restored the front porch, opened that back up, put rocking chairs up on there. And we pulled photos of every light fixture, every window we could find, studied it. They created these beautiful light fixtures inspired by the original ones and put back in this front porch area and just reinstated it, which is fabulous to see. It surprised me. Our historic architect told me that they don't completely take it out and make it exactly like it was when they're restoring something. They actually tweak it a little bit. They make it a little different. And that is so future historians can tell that this was part of the renovation of 2021. This was not 1888. They differentiate future renovations, which I found absolutely fascinating that they don't try to just copy what was there exactly in 1888 because future historians might not be able to differentiate. That is fascinating. Isn't a little that? artistic license taken from a historic renovation to renovation. Absolutely. But some of the things are practical. So for example, on the new front entry, uh, when you walk up the steps, the original railing design is there. It had been removed back in the sixties. It's of course not up to code, um, but it's very decorative and beautiful. So they really wanted to showcase that. They didn't want to redesign it. So what they did is enclosed it in glass. So now the original look is there. You can see what it looked like back in 1888, but it meets today's code standards. So it's a fascinating blend. Our heritage architects, our architectural firm, does an amazing job of incorporating those past elements, but then making them relevant to today's For today. Mm -hmm. I love that. This all kind of circles around an idea of nostalgia mm -hmm. and reflecting on the past, bringing it into the future. Can you tell us a little bit about the role that nostalgia plays in the guest experience at Hotel Del Coronado and what you typically see from your guests when it comes to nostalgia, thinking about the Del then and the Del now? I think that's really what draws them to the property is really wanting that connection to the past. I have guests that come in and say, I want to stand on the beach where Marilyn Monroe stood in 1958. And I've said, well, it's about here. And they said, no, I want to know exactly. <laughs> and, and I can't help them. I can't tell them exactly where she stood. I can approximate. But just walking hallways that you know 11 U.S. presidents have walked down or countless celebrities or famous authors like L. Frank Baum, uh, who wrote several of the Oz books while in Coronado. 
just being in this place where so much history took place creates that connection. And I think people, especially in tougher times, uh, create that connection to the past. And I think it's a huge draw to people that um, it's a bucket list item, the Dell for many people. People just want to have said they've been there, they've seen it, they've experienced it. And I think it's just a connection to the past or what seems like a very romantic long bygone days of when people used to come to the hotel and stay there for two or three months at a time. It was a seasonal resort. So just being where people got dressed for dinner and dinner was a two or three hour event, or they went off hunting or fishing, or they just sat in the gardens. Uh, I think just being a part of that, and you feel that when you're there, uh, sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair today, you can see what it must have been like and imagine in 1958 when they filmed Some Like It Hot and Marilyn Monroe walked right by that spot into the hotel. So it's just that connection. And I think the Dell provides that. And I think people long for that. Especially often. now. Especially now. More, more than maybe ever before or recently before. At least. Absolutely. What are some of those most nostalgic places on property? You mentioned the spot where Marilyn stood on the beach. Are there any other places within the resort or the hotel that you that people often seek out for those nostalgic moments? Absolutely. Uh, the front porch is certainly one. It was a gathering place. It was where guests would come out to see President Benjamin Harrison in 1891 when he came to the Dell. People would gather out there to watch a hunting party go off to North Island. So it's always been a gathering place and it's wonderful to see that being put back in place so that people can once again gather in that spot. Uh, so that's a very historic place, just the front porch and the entry. The lobby, of course, is with its fantastic woodwork, is just so exquisite and people just to stand there and imagine 134 years ago of the number of people that must have walked through this area and seen the exact same woodwork and the same you know, general layout. Uh, it's really fantastic and a great place to just people watch. I just like to stand in there and just watch people coming and going and imagine what it was like over the years and just the different styles, the different uh, types of people that would come walking through that door is amazing. The crown room, which was our main dining room, is certainly a big draw. That uh, room has largely stayed unchanged in 134 years. Wow. So the woodwork is all still original. The craftsmanship is intact. We've removed some fireplaces that heated it, but pretty much that room is exactly as it was back in 1888. And so just being in that room gives me a tremendous sense of history. That's the one room I can place virtually every guest in. We offered the American plan when the hotel opened, where you received three meals a day plus your room and board for the wonderful rate of $3.50 a day. So the first inclusive yes, resort experience. Absolutely. And so people would pay their $3.50. It included three meals. So we kept that until 1960. So looking at guests between 1888 and 1960, virtually all of them would have been in that room at one point during their stay because they would have paid for their meals. So they would have eaten there. And so that's the one room where I can guarantee Judy Garland or President Harrison or L. Frank Baum or Thomas Edison or Cornelius Vanderbilt would have been in that room at some point. And so I love that room for its sense of, of history. 
okay, so the, the canon of American history and mm-hmm. just in one place, are there any historic points that you've learned in your time at the Dell? More than a decade, correct? How long? Have you just been about there? 11 just years. Just about 11 <laughs> years at the, at, at the Hotel Del Coronado. What's one thing, historically speaking, that you've been surprised to learn in your research about the Dell or that people might be surprised to know in the great history of Hotel Del Coronado? Any surprise? Not really. I've learned a lot about Tent City, which... Tell us, what is Tent City for those those who don't know? Right. Tent City uh, was a development that Spreckles created in 1900. The resort was very busy during the winter months. Most of our uh, guests would come between December and April or May. But in the summertime, it would actually empty out. And so that's when renovations would take place around the property. And so to capture that summertime business, uh, Spreckles copied an idea that was being used on Catalina Island. And it was this concept of a tent city, putting up tents near the ocean. And so they did that. They contracted for 300 tents. They put them up. It was going to be just a seasonal attraction. Let's see if anybody comes during the summer. And it ran for 40 years. It became a huge part of the Dell's history. And I've spoken with guests who can remember in the 1920s, coming with their family every summer to the hotel and staying in Tent City. And it was really an amusement park. It had rifle ranges, bumper cars, a merry-go-round. It had dances and concerts and ice cream parlors. It was just a place where people would come and and hang out and people would return every year. And it eventually became a year-round attraction. And so really just the scope of Tent City and what that meant uh, today, it's credited with being the genesis of beach vacations. It was the tent cities that created this desire to go to the ocean during the summertime. And so something that was started in 1900 is actually still in effect today. So incredible. And we think about a lot of really innovative, we put innovative in air quotes, hospitality concepts today, the luxury glamping experience. Mm-hmm. I imagine tent city was the true first luxury beachside glamping accommodations. Yes. And people still ask us to put it back. They love guests. They can't you do that again. Could you replicate that and put, you know, put tents on the beach. And it was just a place where people came and played and enjoyed life. It's a wonderful part of our history that oftentimes gets overlooked. So that's what really made the Dell a year round resort was tent city. It was primarily a wintertime resort you know, from 1888 until 1900. But that's what really made it a year-round world-class resort because now people could come all year round and enjoy the hotel. Tell us, do you know what, this is a tough question, but I, I think about the, the role the Dell plays in sort of the, the canon of iconic luxury hotels across America. What space do you think the property fills in that historic, iconic luxury hotels in America, is there a specific space that you think the hotel really really owns or is, is known well, for? Well, it captures a time period, uh, especially in California history. So there weren't a lot of large resorts and most of them burned down subsequently. Uh, and so it tells a great part of California history. Again, most of these resorts were focused in Victorian times on the East Coast and around big cities like Chicago and New York. San Diego was just a completely new place. There was San Francisco, the gold rush had helped take care of that and brought prominence to that. But San Diego really wasn't frequent. It wasn't on anybody's radar at the time. Los Angeles was just kind of a dusty little town too. They wasn't really that big, but 
the Dow brought Southern California on the map and especially commanded attention from back east. And when it started attracting families such as the Vanderbilts and J.P. Morgan and Andrew Carnegie, and as these people started to come to San Diego and discover the climate was one of the main attractions, uh, it was just a perfect climate, that it really brought Southern California into the forefront of the United States where everything had been so centered on the East Coast. This really brought prominence to the state of California. So I think that the Dell was a huge part of that. And in putting San Diego on the map. Absolutely. As a luxury, leisure, and vacation destination that many know it as today. Absolutely. I love that. Gina, tell us a little bit about yourself now that you've told us so much about the (laughs) Dell in the little time we have, but how did you find your way to the Dell and what drew you to this role of heritage and history and preservation? I've always liked history, so I've always studied that, but I actually started at the Dell in marketing department and I worked in communications. And so I was responsible for signage and menus and so forth. And uh, we would do Throwback Thursdays or Fun Fact Friday, and we would pull historic tidbits. And I really enjoyed doing that. And so I had fun choosing subjects or learning little bits that I could share with, with our followers. And when our historian retired, she had been there off and on for about 30 years. And I was able to train with her for about a year. Uh, before she retired. But I think, in honesty, she retired out of boredom. Um, There wasn't a lot going on at the time. Again, the master plan's sort of dormant at this time. There's not a lot of movement. And so she retired. And I think now she's missed out on a tremendous time because the work that I have to do, and a lot of my own team members don't know what all we do. If we're looking at renovating the Victorian building, I have to do the research and document when every alteration was made, provide photos, pictures of the interiors, what they look like, and sort of document that all so that then the architects can take it to determine a period of significance, and then they restore, they draw plans to restore it to that time period. And so helping with all of that is a tremendous project and a lot of fun. That's why I actually learned a lot of those things. So I remember when she retired, she said, I wrote the history book. That's all you need. You don't have to do anything else. And I laughed because my job is never done. (laughs) And I'm always doing more and more things. And there's always more things to learn or things that you research further and learn new things about the hotel. So it's really a never ending job, um, which is what I love. I, I didn't have any training in history. My training was in journalism, which I think actually helps me as I'm researching and finding things and it's storytelling at its best. And so I really love, I tell our new hires, I have the best job at the hotel uh, when I welcome them there uh, because it really is. I get to learn so much about something I love and enjoy and help shape its stories for generations to come. It's a great responsibility, but one I really relish and enjoy. We can see that it comes, it comes so clearly through Gina. How can people see this experience with you firsthand? If they're coming to visit the Dell, how can they hear about the history? What's available to guests to give them a sneak peek into this story past? Absolutely. We have a new museum that opened last year uh, called the ice house museum. It was an 1889 building that was attached to our power plant uh, that housed a 10 ton ice machine. And so we've now converted, it's been many other things, but we have now converted it into a museum. 
And so we have a great place to display artifacts and help tell the Dell story visually was, was really our intent. So there's almost 200 photos throughout the museum to see through the years. It's also where we start our guided tours. We have a tour program at the hotel. Uh, we have daily history tours. We have a nightly ghost tour that's very popular. And we also have a self-guided tour, which is new. So people can rent players and take them around property and do that at their leisure. Uh, each three are different. You will hear three different aspects of the Dell's history in them. but I, And so together they make a really great package. But um, we work very hard to share our history with with our visitors and uh, always looking at new ways to do that. And for those who have not been in person to visit to visit the Dell, the Grand Dam, and see the history firsthand, it is an incredible experience, one, to hear it from you, but to see it, to physically see all of the artifacts and all the Absolutely. preservation work that's been done um, to keep this great tradition alive for San Diego and for hospitality in America. Absolutely, and I'll still be searching for that place where Marilyn Monroe stood on the beach. <laughs> And then I can share it with everybody. Gina, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate you coming in. Thank you. Very much.